Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. When I was in sixth grade, my teacher was uh, Mrs. Karen Mitchell. I come from a real small town, and uh, we knew everyone. In fact, I still have contact with that teacher today. Uh, well, in Mrs. Uh, Karen Mitchell's sixth grade class, uh, this was about once a month, uh, the nurse, the nurse would come in, Lynn Muscarella. She would come in, and the instructions given to all of us, all of us sixth grade students, I think there were about 30 of us, uh, how's that for a teacher-student ratio? Is that, is that okay? Did that turn out okay? All right. So the instruction given to us when Nurse Lynn Muscarella would show up once a month or so uh, would be to uh, to take off our hats or our hoodies or whatever and to sit very still uh, at our desks because it was time for the monthly lice check. And Nurse Muscarella would walk around. She'd have uh, rubber gloves on, I remember. And for whatever reason, she had uh, like a wooden stick, like a pointer. Uh, sometimes it was a tongue depressor, but she would always have some sort of device. And she would use that with uh, with one hand uh, combing our hair to the side and the other, uh, this little device, the tongue depressor, moving our hair this way and that. And she was checking our scalp uh, for lice. And man, oh man, if you were one of the kids that ended up with lice... You know, we didn't really understand about how, like, bullying was no good and uh, stigmas really uh, weren't based in reality or fact or anything like that. But I can. I won't, I won't name them here. I don't want to embarrass anyone again. But in all the years, this is from kindergarten until just about the time we graduated, we were having these lice checks. I can name to you every single person uh, that came down uh, with lice. And how are we not going to know? We're in the middle of class, and uh, Nurse Muscarella, uh, she, if she finds some, it's an event. And I can remember the two occasions where I was right there in the classroom, just a few seats away, uh, when uh, this student or that student was immediately instructed to stand up, to collect their things, and to follow the nurse quite literally outside the building where a phone call was made to mom and dad and they'd have to be picked up immediately. Anyway, things have changed and our understandings have changed and uh, we know that lice is not necessarily uh, a result of poor hygiene or anything like that. And I, I tell you that story of my own just to set the stage for this next conversation we're going to have. The coronavirus has made its way through this country, of course, and it has altered the way that we live our lives. It's altered the way we go about, uh, from here to there. And surprisingly, this is one of those, this is one of those odd consequences I never would have predicted. Uh, but we're going to be speaking, uh, with a doctor here in just a moment who assures me it's true that in the United States, at least within, uh, Lice Clinics of America locations, they have seen an uptick in lice activity. This, I'm not joking with you here. There has been an uptick in lice, head lice activity 
during the span of time in which we have been uh, combating the coronavirus of 25 percent, 25 percent. Joining me now to explain all of this and even share a way to uh, maybe combat head lice is Dr. Krista Lauer. She's the medical director of the Lice Clinics of America, which is headquartered uh, here in Utah in Salt Lake City. Doctor, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm I'm all right. Uh, if if I'm honest, I hadn't thought about head lice since I was in uh, school, and the nurse would come through from time to time and, and check. And you uh, have dedicated your career now to to combating head lice. Well, you know, it's one of those things that you never dream of doing when you're younger, and yet an opportunity comes along, and uh, you learn a little bit about it, and you've become quite passionate about it. It really does help people. So, yes, that's that's my job right now. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, tell me what, uh, as you've uh, conducted your job and you've worked, what have you observed in the last few months? Well, you know, it's really interesting. I, I loved your, your introductory story, and it's so important to note that things have definitely changed since you were in the sixth grade and the nurse was uh, combing through your hair because, you know, um, it, there used to be such a stigma associated with head lice, and now we know that it really has nothing to do with personal hygiene, has nothing to do with the cleanliness of your environment, whether that be your classroom, your school, your home. Lice is really an infestation that happens purely by opportunity, and that's why we're seeing such an uptick um, in the cases most recently because of the stay-at-home mandate. Um, you know, children who had head lice were stuck at home with their families and not able to get out, and that kind of uh, more the closer proximity of families during that time meant that the penetration of an infestation went further into a family. So it wasn't just a primary caregiver or maybe a sibling uh, that got it. The entire family was getting it. And then there's such a lag time between when somebody gets lice and when they actually start to demonstrate symptoms, which is a about four weeks on average between that when they get it and when they have symptoms, the infestations were much more severe, have been much more severe. And so I think that, you know, that's that twofold reason that we're seeing the uptick. Fascinating. Because, you know, at first it would seem counterintuitive. If you are, uh, you know, if you're isolated w with your family, uh, you are not out and exposed to the places where you think you might pick up the head lice. But the way you describe it, uh, it makes plenty of sense that the penetration then goes deeper. So because of that close proximity, uh, you know, your, your family members, your siblings, your parents, and whoever's there under the same roof with you, uh, may be prone to get it. So four weeks. That's incredible. After four weeks, w what, uh, what is experienced first? What should we be on the lookout for? So this is really another interesting fact about a head lice infestation um, is that only 50% of people who get head lice have symptoms at all ever. So that means half of the people who have head lice will never have symptoms. Those that do get symptoms, the most common one is itching. So an itchiness or an irritation of the scalp is most common. Uh, they love the nape of the neck and behind the ears, but, you know, any itchiness of the scalp you need to pay attention to and, uh, and check. I might, okay, my head is itching right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a, that's You probably hear that all the time, right? 
anytime you find yourself talking about what you do for a living, uh, you know, people are probably folding their arms up, maybe itching now, what, the nape of your neck and behind their ears. Uh, you <laughs> How do we safeguard? Uh, well, I think the best thing is to be aware that head lice are really common. So according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, um, between 6 and 12 million new head lice infestations happen every year between children aged 3 to 11. That doesn't take into account their siblings, their caregivers, their, you know, their uh, gymnastics teacher, whoever, uh, the other people that get it uh, because the one person was infested. So being aware that it's a potential is really important. And if you suspect head lice, the, f the most important advice is not to freak out. They are super common, given, by, given that number, 6 to 12 million new infestations a year in the U.S. And they're not dangerous. They don't cause any medical conditions. They cause no long-term health problems. They're just a nuisance. So in order to, to prepare yourself, you should be checking your child's scalp at least once a week. And, you know, in this time of social distancing peer-to-peer, -peer, we're seeing that increased penetration in families, but no, we're not seeing so much of the transmit transmission between children, but as those stay-at-home restrictions and social distancing restrictions are relaxing and people are taking the social distancing res restrictions less seriously, not only are we at risk for COVID, but also head lice, which, you know, which spread by direct head-to-head -head contact. So inspecting your child's head, being aware that it's a possibility, those are the main things to do. And if you, if you have any suspicions, uh, you know, make sure you see a professional. Mm. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Dr. Crystal Lauer, medical director of the Lice Clinics of America. You have a website, don't you? Yes, we do. It's liceclinicsofamerica.com. And you're in the business of treating this lice. Thank you for all this information you've given us. Uh, I am enlightened and, if I'm honest, itchy. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. All right, doctor, you do the same.